Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, a podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the Father Guido Sarducci Chapel here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're taking a look at the early Neolithic site of Gobekli Tepe in southeastern Turkey, noted for its dozens of stone circles, nearly 200 carved stone pillars depicting all manner of animals and humans, and now defleshed human skulls that were apparently put on display. What does all this elaborate symbolism represent? And should this site and its counterparts be considered the origins of organized religion? Just how were hunter-gatherers organized to manipulate complex imagery carved into tons of stone? Why are archaeologists so interested in origins anyway? And why does one of our contestants keep talking about headhunting? Okay, very good. So... Here's my lightning round question to you both, in keeping with the tradition of, of lightning rounds and, and what comes after. And that is, most impressive religious structure you've ever experienced. Wow. Impressive. Not, you know, necessarily, you know, emotionally moving or spiritually moving. Mm -hmm. like, does, does it have to be ancient or can it be anything? No, anything. The wow, just the wow factor. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm. Ancient, oh. modern. Well, mm. gosh. Well, why don't you go first? Okay. Um, and, and this is very much in keeping, I think, with what will come later. Uh, Notre Dame. Oh, that's, oh, good. that's a good one because you walk in i mean when it was still standing before it had been burned to <laughs> yeah. a crisp um you walk in there and you go wow this is this is a it's huge b it's a lot of work and c every single inch uh, inside and out is covered with <clears throat> elaborate symbolism it's it's, it's a depiction of, of heaven and hell all in one. And, um, and that funky rose window at the, at the end, just, just unbelievable. Oh, that's a good one, Alex. Yeah, that is a good one. Um, so, um, so, you know, now it's all just gonna sound derivative of yours <laughs> because I was gonna go for, I guess, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Also good. Yeah, or a Sistine Chapel, you know, either it's a toss up. Um, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was at a loss. I was at a complete loss. But I, I think the only thing I could think of was, was a place that the three of us shared and that Alex and I 
had our picture taken there, and that's the uh, large circular altar at Megiddo. Mm -hmm. A good one. A very good one. And you know, I used that picture of the two of you when I teach about early bronze age <laughs> Megiddo. And these are two early bronze age <laughs> men. Right. So um, you're very small and pixelated, so no one can recognize clearly you. Clearly out of their element. Were, right. were we pixelated at that time? <laughs> well, it was like in the 90s, and the cameras, you know, you scan in this old photo, and yeah. We were, we were pixelated, and we didn't even know it. That's, and we, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, there's a lot, a lot to be said for that. Well, I think all of these things lead into uh, the topic du jour, which is uh, the, the question of religion or whatever it is in the early Neolithic and the site of Gobekli Tepe, this gigantic, mysterious first place in the Sanlit Urfa region of, uh, of southeasternish Turkey with all these enormous, like 20 gigantic circular buildings and, and all these gigantic five and a half meter tall T-shaped pillars. How many T-shaped pillars are there? <laughs> I believe someone looked up the number. <laughs> At least 170. Oh my, okay. Yeah, um, that's, that's, that's these are the, sometimes it's important to quantify, not always, but. Well, that's, that's true. There's a boatload of these T-shaped pillars. <clears throat> That's right. And what's the date? <laughs> really early. <laughs> oh. like PPNA, it's like 9000 BCE. Yeah. It's even earlier. Is it's, it? Yeah, it's 9600 BCE. Well, if you're going to be BCE, not BP, folks. Right, right. <laughs> We're talking BCE. Yeah. It's, it's old. I think that's really all we need to know. It's really, really old. It's at the beginning of the Neolithic. That's right. And... Yep. And every surface of all of these structures is covered with the wackiest kinds of, uh, of carvings and sculptures and engravings of hands and, and beasts, of, beasts of the field and, and predatory birds. And there's human-shaped sculpture and there's turtle-shaped sculpture and everything that you can possibly imagine. And... And I, I think we should sort of describe the site a little bit more though. It's not just these these carved, these pillars with carving. It's like these 20, I think 20 circular enclosures, at least, right? At least 20. At least 20 circular enclosures uh, with, um, I think most of them or all of them have two carved pillars in the middle and then they're surrounded by many inward facing pillars as well. So you've got these, these circular enclosures. Yep. So here's my question. Is this hard to believe or why are we surprised by this? Because everywhere we go, we see that this is the first, this is the beginning of religion. It's a mystery. There was one article that we all read before we went off and did uncalled for research <laughs> that, that said something like the mysterious site of Quebec. Why are we so mystified? Is it right. just because we like firsts or... Right. Well, one interesting thing is a lot of the newspaper articles about it say older than Stonehenge as their lead off, right. because that's right. everybody's reference point for like oldest weird. No, think, stuff. Right. Old, well, oldest big stones. Oldest right. <laughs> big standing and, stones. Right. Right. And why they pick Europe for that instead of the, the Near East uh, or or uh, or even Egypt. I have no idea. But right. yes. Well, I think. Um, in the case of Gobekli Tepe, 
um, I think it's an interesting situation of the, the initial interpretation of this site and then a reinterpretation based on new data. And in this case, we have the, uh, the excavator of the site, um, Klaus Schmidt. Uh, the late Klaus Schmidt. The late Klaus Schmidt, believing that the site only served as a pilgrimage spot for hunter-gatherers and that there was no evidence of any domestic architecture. And even though they found a lot of flint tools <laughs> of all sorts, um, they believed that these flint tools did not have anything to do with domestic activities. And so he made the, the suggestion, which was, you know, a, a real flipping the script of, of the day, yeah. and the day was only about 15 years ago, um, that hunter-gatherers established the first organized religion. And so that organized religion precedes plant and animal domestication. And that would have been big. That would have been really big. And that would have, you know, shifted our whole, you know, way of thinking about um, plant and animal domestication and, you know, the origins of religion, at least, you know, sort of yeah. observable religion and institutions. But then his, uh, his, his the person who followed up uh, with his with the excavation of Gobekli Tepe, uh, Lee Clare uh, excavated some areas deeper and found good evidence for domestic occupation, and most importantly, good evidence for uh, some kind of a cistern uh, cut into the bedrock that served to harvest rainwater, which is hard to come by in these uh, in this area of southeastern Turkey. Um, so I think that's sort of the backstory, and so he was able to set sort of say, well, people were living here. So there were, there was, you know, pretty permanent settlement and these permanent settlers built this, but it's still, e even if there's some kind of modest, you know, domestic occupation at the site, the number of, of uh, installations and shaped <clears throat> pillars. Uh, it still seems like a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. disproportionate yeah. to the, uh, to the, who, to the number of occupants. Right, and and I think the fact remains that Klaus Schmidt's excavations, I mean, the fact remains that there were a lot of undomesticated animals. There's there's clearly the presence of well, a lot of uh, undomesticated animals. Well, that's an important part of all of this. All of the animals are undomesticated, uh, or uh, as we like to call them, wild. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's maybe, maybe that's our, maybe that's our conceit. Maybe they're spending Years and years harvesting undomesticated grain and and uh, you know undomesticated animals, but they just don't know it. Right, well, the animals nor the nor the people. But we have the situation. We know life. the situation well at other Neolithic sites. So, for instance, at the site of Ashikli Huyuk, um, it's a permanent, highly dense populated set settlement. I hesitate to use the term city. Um, it's kind of like Chatalhuyu, but it precedes Chatalhuyu by quite a bit. And at Ashiklihuyu, they're also using wild types, mm -hmm. not using any domesticated types. And I believe Murebet also uses wild types of plants and animals and not domesticated. And even Abu Herrera has some phases that precede the domestication process in which they're... <laughs> and before the incident. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, they're using wild types. Here's, like, here's something that I didn't look up, which now I wish I had. So domestication takes, for, for different animals and for different plants, it takes X number of generations. I mean, it varies from species to species. But so how long is that in 
in real time, it depends. You know, they can be farming with what eventually became domesticated grains, but they haven't just finished the process yet. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So That's it doesn't it. mean they're not farming. It just means it means they exactly. are. Farming. Yeah. 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 Right. They're right. They're or, or at least at the they like. I mean, the turn they they're cultivating. They're, they're cultivating. cultivating wild types. Right. And right. and they're managing wild wild types of animals. Right. Um. So. Which of course, so, it's part of the process of exactly. domestication. Yeah. Right. So they're they're in the process, but it does precede domesticated plant and plants and animals. And in in that regard, it's it's you know it's pretty important that they yeah. did all of this, um, you know, ideological construction and. Uh, well, but that's the that that's my question, really. And and here I I just want to point out that. Um, these circular buildings and T-shaped pillars and things have been found at a bunch of other sites. Right. A lot. Um, Neville Jory, I actually looked it up. Kurt Tepe, Hamzan Tepe, blah, blah, Tepe. Right. Uh, all, but they're all in Southeastern. Uh, all in this kind of right. area. It's some sort of regional phenomenon. Right. All in the greater Orpha co-prosperity <laughs> sphere. Right. So, so, uh, Okay, we can dismiss the idea mostly that you have you have hunter-gatherers or gatherer hunters, as somebody put it, coming together for some kind of you know lengthy jamboree and carving these ginormous pillars that weigh tons and tons and standing them up. Um, but they're still investing in in fact, if they're all over the place, they're investing even more time and energy because everybody in the region is investing time and energy. Yeah. Right. And there's and there's some kind of a you know, template for this is how we present this this ideological material. Right. In, the, in this particular these, region. Right. We build these T-shaped pillars. Everybody's using T-shaped pillars. You're right? not using and the Y-shaped pillar? No, no, not, <laughs> none, we'll, we'll have none of that Y-shaped stuff here. <laughs> It's, that, uh, but you know what? Whether they're hunter gatherers or not, um, like you're saying, well, they're not. Gonna, Let's. Not. But right. That's important. Oh no, no. But I have to. I have to interject because the phrase that I ran across in the research that I didn't do was complex or trans egalitarian hunter gatherers, oh and and that 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 sort of made me laugh a little bit because <laughs> not sure what I'm not sure what that means except that. You know, yeah. these are these are folks that do more than we expect from your your average run of the mill hunter gatherers. <laughs> right, Our expectations are so low, but <laughs> expectations are important. So, for instance, um, uh, Klaus Schmidt worked at Nevelachori, which is a later site which has these T-shaped pillars and which has uh, the and uses domesticated plants and animals. It's a later site. He worked there. And then he went to um, his own. Uh, then he went to Gobekli <coughs> Tepe, mm -hmm. and um, when they found all wild types of uh, plants and animals, that's when he, you know, saw he saw this in opposition to what was going on to Nevelachori. So it, you know, he, these are these interpretations are are both active and reactive, um, you know, to earlier work. Right. What that's, a lucky man. There. Yeah. Really, I mean, to find a site like this and, and to work there in this in this literal wonderland. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about this site is that it was virtually unknown. Although I did read that like Chicago researchers were aware of it since the 1960s. And I think they or somebody else thought it was medieval. 
Um, <laughs> well, then they weren't really aware of it. Well, yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they went to this hill and thought it was medieval and it turned out to date to the 10th millennium BCE, I would say that the level of awareness was, right. was rudimentary at best. Right, right. Right. So, okay, fair enough. But that's, you know, the site was known, but nobody had explored it. I think that's really the point. Right. Um, and uh, I, I mean, when, when did all of you, both of you hear about it for the first time? I remember it was around 2007, 2008, 2009, that I became aware of it. I was at a seance in the 1990s and, <laughs> and images started coming to me. Right. I was talking to my informant, Huggy Bear. <laughs> he said, the word out in the street is, Neville Achori, you know. Neville Achori was out there for a long time. Yeah, I'm that was out there for a long time. And that was a very important site to know yeah. about. I'm talking about the Blackley Tepe. When did you first hear about the Blackley Tepe? Yeah, 2007 and eight, I guess, something yeah. like that. The, early, the earlier years of the 21st century. Yeah. Right. And it was not, I mean, now people talk about no, it's it, everywhere. Of it. Now but, it has a roof over it. Right. Right. And that's actually one of the more interesting things because uh, Schmidt worked at the site for many, many years with almost no funding at all. Nobody was interested, even when he was showing people T-shaped pillars and he was showing, you know, he was giving his PowerPoints and everything else. He still had a hard time getting funding and getting interest. You know, he lived in, a, I think he lived, you know, at, at the nearby village and, you know, it was a real bare bones operation. And then uh, I guess, I don't even actually know when, but quite recently, you know, the Turkish government started putting in a lot of money and the museum yeah. in San Liorfa started, you know, really putting in a lot of money because they, they began to understand the importance of the site. Right. And so and it, it seems, got a roof and it got a visitor center and it got, you know. Right, it's going to bring in a lot of tourism money. Right. Um, and, and I think since 2017 or maybe it was 2018, it's been a UNESCO heritage site. Right. So that helps too. Right. Yeah. But, and again, it wasn't that long ago, like 15 years ago, nobody had heard of this place. So I think that that is part of the story. That's definitely mm -hmm. part of the story, but everybody, well, I don't know about everybody, but we all had certainly heard about other places like Chatel Huyuk. Um, which, and Ashikli Huyuk. Right. We're highly trained professionals and Neville Lachori. <laughs> right. <clears throat> but let's talk about the skulls. There's a whole angle to this <laughs> that really deserves a lot of attention because it it only recently surfaced in newspaper reports, and it and it isn't uh, one of the more better known things about Gobekli Tepe, and that is that um, three skulls were were I guess found during the excavation, but only recently analyzed. Human skulls. They seem to have holes and uh, grooves in them, uh, and uh, one of the archaeologists working on it is suggesting that they were uh, displayed on the walls. And uh, that adds a, um, you know, sort of a creep factor <laughs> to, to the site. Right. Uh, so you have these T-shaped pillars with reliefs of lions and bulls and foxes and cranes and scorpions and all sorts of other beasts. You have some indication of hands and clothing on some of the T-shaped pillars. And now we also have this possibility of uh, human skulls being hung from the walls. Um, and of course, veneration of skulls is something that we know very well from the PPNA, right. from this earliest period of the Neolithic, beginning in the 10th millennium and going down to the early 9th millennium. Um, but we know it in the form of skulls being painted and modeled and then being buried under the, under the floor so that you're living above your ancestors. Right. But here we have something a little different. 
Right. And I've always questioned whether these were ancestors. Uh, I see, <laughs> I, I see. Or, or some guy that, that got whacked right. you know, or, or, or roadkill. Um, oh God. No, they're, they're ancestors. I mean, <laughs> well, I suggested to somebody um, a while back, well, why aren't they um, victims of headhunting expeditions? And <laughs> well, you, you it must have been on a Saturday afternoon after you watched the cartoons on Saturday morning. <laughs> I, I think that uh, Predator, the movie Predator, had been on. Ah, there we but, go. Yeah, but um, you know the the response was no, no, no. It has to be it has to be ancestors because they're they're so well treated and venerated and they're modeled so and then placed under the floors or in the walls so lovingly and if you you know if you read the headhunter literature <laughs> um, they're, they're kind of doing the same thing but i don't want to press i don't want to press this uh, this issue i don't like the headhunter argument i i just don't think <laughs> that they are spending that much time and attention displaying their enemies when they could be um, displaying their, their families what when they could be displaying their families. Right, when they could be asking for favors from their family and, and you know. But that's, what, that's actually what you do when you're a headhunter. You, you, like, you drink out of the skull to get the power of your enemy. You, ha right. you have questions mm -hmm. for it. You eat part it, of the brain. Yeah. Um, and that's how that disease was, was transmitted right. to, to whole tribes. That's right. right. I, guess, I guess the headhunter... And I think we're giving this a little, a little more credence than it perhaps deserved. The headhunter model um, would would certainly undermine the trans egalitarian nature of the group. Yes, well, but that's some, that's another thing that was just kind well, of well. That's made, another but made up. Yeah, that's a completely made up thing. This whole notion that all any of these groups and and some of our colleagues referred to Iron Age one peoples in the Southern Levant as egalitarian. Right. All of this egalitarian. Well, everything's uh, relative though. I mean, they're egalitarian in the sense of they don't seem to treat their kings in burials anyway, much better than, I mean, you can't, you can't give me a- I think you need a, a lot of material <laughs> evidence, if not historical evidence, to, to say that a whole society is egalitarian, A, and B, I would be surprised if there is any period in time in human history in which people were egalitarian. I they are burying their dead in Bronze and Iron Age, Canaan and Israel in a more egalitarian fashion than they were in Osage. No, but egalitarianism can be expressed in lots of different ways. It doesn't have to be just expressed in some kind of base material way or the size of tombs. There's a lot of different ways that you can rank socioeconomic hierarchy without resorting to that kind of stuff. Sure. But, you know, not everything is visible in the archaeological records. So obviously we're only going by what's visible. <laughs> All right. right. But that's where we start filling in. Exactly. <laughs> you know, All right. Let's get back. And, and there wouldn't be podcasts otherwise. And egalitarianism is, is a, um, it's a predisposition. It's a sort of a, a modality of thinking. And boy, that's really hard to get to in the Neolithic, I think. <laughs> I mean, you know. Especially if your skull is being hung up on the wall. Right. Well, let's get back to that. If yeah, let's wanted, get back to that. If you want to deposit, uh, you know, some kind of pride of place for headhunters, I would say, you know, slapping your enemy up on a wall would be much better than burying them. Um, if anything. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, but I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm just not, bothered I'm not by married. I'm not married to this concept. I just want to throw it out there because people <laughs> people tend to dismiss it as oh no no it's it's not possible. Partly because they don't want to think of these uh, these people as being kind of declasse. Well, the, the, the only sense. other the only other reaction I would say to that is that if there were any if there was any evidence of modification of human bones, which is usually found in headhunting, cannibalistic kinds of contexts, then I would say, okay, we might have some, you know, a little bit of evidence pointing that way. But without that, it's pure speculation, right. what they're but, doing with these heads. Right. So they're, they're modifying them enough to hang them from a cord or suspend them somehow. Um, and we only have fragments of these three skulls also. We don't have the whole thing. Right. We, we don't want to push this this whole skull thing too far here. But the it interesting... is very interesting. And, you know, it's not, it, it is interesting that it's more or less the same time period as what you have at sites in, in, in the Levant and places like well, that. It's actually a little bit earlier. Little it earlier. depends yeah. on when it's, I, we don't know the, the skull, the, the dates and the stratigraphy for the skulls was not given in that one little snippet. Right. Um, so it could be earlier, it could be contemporaneous. Right. Um, but we mentioned a site earlier, Ashikli Huyuk, where there's another recent article, very recent article on a find from quite a few years ago, um, uh, suggesting the earliest brain surgery um, on a skull found at Ashikli Huyuk. And there we have evidence of a, um, of a skull with holes in it. So some kind of trepanation and, and there's some growth over the holes. Um, and then the subject died and was buried with her child. Right. Um, so somewhat later, Ashikli right. Huyu is a little bit later in date. Uh, PNB. The ninth millennium sometime, whereas in your around 8400 BCE. Um, and uh, at Ashikli Huyuk, um, they're playing around with, so there's a lot of skull playing around with going on. <clears throat> well, that's, that's one of the interesting things. They, they, they clearly figured out that the skull was an important part of the human anatomy. Right. And, right. They're, and, they're, and they're decapitating people, modeling them, and they're also uh, operating. Right. We can't lump like this, I don't think, because the 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 brain surgery is to keep, <laughs> is to keep a person alive right, right. it's it's well. they're relieving pressure or whatever and it worked she lived for in one thing i read at least 10 days um and you call you know, that living <laughs> well, right um but but the point is that that you know it was meant to save this person right no life. no i i just I, I just bring it up because in the neolithic we in the in the early Neolithic, we get a lot more information on, you know, this kind of thing than in any other time period. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's there, true. There's a real emphasis on, on the skull. You think they became more squeamish as time went on? Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if... No, but... Uh, if anything else, the, the ancient Near Eastern <laughs> historical record proves that squeamishness yeah, is, that not, is not an issue. an issue for them. Right. Well, maybe, maybe more anonymous. They're, you know, everything is taking place on larger scale, so you can't quite treat these skulls with the degree of reverence that they had in earlier time periods. 
Well, mm. yeah, you got you got more people. <laughs> it's 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 a mass society. Yeah, there's a lot of anomie that is being experienced <laughs> by by the masses. Right. I just maybe, think it, I mean, look, you know how I like to speculate wildly. So maybe you have. Whoa, whoa, whoa! We'll have none of that here in the in this naturally <laughs> based podcast, <laughs> deeply grounded in in realia and. You have. I'm 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 speculating wildly. You ready? Yes. Um, good. So you, you start with a couple of ancestors, be you at Jericho or or at uh, Gobekli, and uh, you treat their skulls somehow, and you display them perhaps in ceremonies, perhaps in processions. These are all things that have been suggested, at least for Jericho. And um, the, it, you know, maybe these are the original, the Ur ancestors, and you don't need to do it for a couple of generations because you still remember that these are the important guys. So, you know, you don't have to do it for every head of household who dies. You're just doing it for the original originators of your tribe or clan or village. I kind of like that. I just came up with it. <laughs> You're just trying to reju reduce the squeamishness factor of having to haul out, you know, grandparents <laughs> on a the labor, the labor on a factor. regular on a regular basis. Yeah. See, the thing that's interesting to me is a place like like Gobekli Tepe or or any of these sites that have these weird and wacky buildings and you know and you're presumably you're sitting in it and, and there are some skulls hanging from the wall and here's some arms carved on the on the pillars with no heads just with fingers and there's a tortoise that's on that's being chased by a, a bird of prey um what is this what what is this building what is this experience it's <clears throat> is it you know <laughs> it, it's not exactly your life it's a kind of representation of your of, death, <laughs> right? It's a representation of all these, these disparate aspects of the, of the natural world. And you're, you're in it. I think it's like, it's like wonderland where, where everything is, is combined and mushed together. And it's, uh, it's very trippy. Well, it is very trippy, but I think it's all just, just built on the foundations of storytelling. I mean, you know, we, we see this kind of storytelling in, in cave paintings in, you know, Paleolithic Europe. And mm -hmm. uh, we, you know, we, we get these <coughs> sort of periodic flashes of, you know, storytelling in the extreme. And this is one of those cases. It is phantasmagoric and it is, you know, uh, it is quite extraordinary. But I just, I, I think it's all part of, you know, just storytelling. But is it but is it religion or is it just life can you separate religion from the rest of your life and uh, you 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 step into this building are you in a religious structure and i was looking at you know something is it a temple is it a ritual center is it a communal cult building are you doing feasting there are these ancestor cults or is it just but all is, of that's is, religion is, it, it's yeah, all of that is religion um but, maybe, but, why, but why? Why is it different from your, the, the life that you lead and the, the, the thinking that you do outside of this but building? The, but religion and the individual didn't really get separated until pretty late, the Enlightenment, really. And even now we're having, I mean, now, you know, it's, it, it's very hard to separate religion out of, out of contemporary life. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think when you're in, I was going to say when you're a hunter gatherer, but when you're, you're living in the, in the, the Neolithic in general, you have a really hard life and you're just fighting for existence all the time. Your crops might be coming up. Maybe they're not. Maybe you have to supplement by gathering whatever. Are they domesticated? Aren't they domesticated? We right. don't know. We don't know. I get it. They're I get just it. growing. But, but, my, me... but wait, wait, wait. No, my point right. is that <laughs> uh, you don't have time to, to be praying three times a day. Or, well, you have time to be building these, these things with pillars that are, you know, six meters high. Fair point, but, but you do have time to every so often go to a place to kind of pray to your particular deities who may or may not be be associated with particular animals and get, you know, get hope that your prayers are going to be answered for the next couple months. Well, you, you don't know that them. they're praying. I don't know what they're doing. There's no right. evidence for prayer there. They're just, <laughs> you don't even know that they're going in there. They're just like building and saying, okay, we're going to build another one now. I know they're well, there's, animals. They're all they're all lined with benches. So I think, I think they're going in there. Um, all right. But that's neither here nor... All right, but let's look at another aspect. There's a whole meditation on the geometry of Gebekli Tepe. Yeah. So uh, right. there are three of yeah. these enclosures, B, C, and D, and the, the precise middle of each of them, if you draw a triangle, you get an equilateral triangle. And this has been used to suggest that regardless of the, of the motivation and function of these buildings, that they had to A, know a lot of math, and B, do a lot of planning, yeah. and C, all of this suggests, you know, a little bit of a social hierarchy with somebody who knows the math, <laughs> wouldn't have been me, yeah, count uh, us and out. somebody who can, who can visualize and compose these buildings without actually building them, yeah. uh, and then someone operationalizing that plan. And, and the authors of this particular research um, who you know, did this all, you know, obviously uh, through all, you know, through a very serious kind of computational science um, way, um, they also note that, um, uh, that there's that they probably had to build a model before they built the actual uh, buildings in order to sort of check their work and to make sure that you know that they would get this. Well, there's probably the zoning that they had to go through. <laughs> yeah, right. There's all exactly. sorts of permits. Right. So so that adds a level of complexity. So there's sort of the engineering feat, uh, at least for these three enclosures, and then there's the the function and whatever that function is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's that's a very important point, actually. It's operating on a couple different levels. Yeah. And I think, I mean, one of the things, you know, so, so okay, we're decided that they're not hunter-gatherers, but one of the original issues with the site is this is a complex society that seemed to precede domestication when everybody had been saying that domestication had to come first. But the whole point is that this was a complex society. And, and we see the evidence exactly like you're saying, you know, there's, there's somebody who had to do the organizing. There's somebody who had to understand the engineering Component. The there are also laborers, um, which I assume is the bottom rung, but you know, people to carve the, to, to bring the blocks over, and then and artisans to carve. Mm -hmm. So right, and carving—that's an important point because they're dealing with a pretty systematic iconographic vocabulary. Yeah, they're, they're not. It's not a lot of different hands, or at least a lot of different conceptions of what a bull looks like and what a fox looks like and right. what a 
scorpion looks like. It's all a pretty well integrated and homogenized, um, you know, um, design. Yeah. And there, so that's, that means that there was, you know, a way to, to draw these things and a way not to draw these things. And, right, and the guys who didn't them, draw the right way, they're, they're the ones whose skulls are hanging up on the wall. <laughs> exactly. Right. So there is a lot of specialization and there's a lot of care and thought and it's all very systematic. Right. And, and then there's the whole component that we're missing, which because we can't know, you know, what do each of these animals represent? So clearly they knew what these animals represented. Right. And we don't. Yeah. Just like in cave paintings. Right. 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 And just like in the upcoming uh, movie Dune, <laughs> we, we won't really ever know what any of this stuff is. What it, what it means. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, the cave paintings, I, I don't want to anticipate, you know, future, future things, but... It, uh, <laughs> no, they happened in the past. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm confused. It's a circular ver vision of time. And, yeah, apparently. And maybe that's... Uh, Maybe that's what what all this is is about. I I would I, I just wrote down. I think that that these things are lenses that concentrate the world. Ooh, is that good? That's very good. <laughs> yeah, because um, they bring together like the entire the entirety of the world plus math. Their world, <clears throat> their world, their world. I mean, it's not not my world. And, <laughs> no, no, but I mean, it's their world. It's the entirety of their world. Right. Um, right. But, it, but it concentrates it in this, like, little, these circular, circular structures. But why is that, again, why is that religion? Why isn't, why isn't that just experience? When, well, that's, but that's a... Well, it's, it's a semantic, there's a semantic distinction yeah. right. that has to be made. I think this is the first use of the word semantic. In these uh, in these podcasts, for Please which take we take a shot, we, we must we must apologize. Um, all right. <laughs> but, I mean, no, but there's but there's like the there's the the <clears throat> there's the Scooby Doo world, and then there's the pre Scooby Doo world. In the Scooby Doo world, the magic is all revealed to be oh, you know, it's just people in a mask, right? And and that begins, in my way of thinking, in the Bronze Age. Like everything is is demystified. Oh, yeah. Yes, they're still dressing the, the cult statue in fine in fine robes of linen, by the way, um, and feeding, <laughs> feeding it three times a day, and all this kind of stuff. But really, the 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 enchantment is gone. But before that, yeah, like think about the the wall paintings at Gazul. I mean, that's mm, that's some mm. crazy stuff. Yeah, I figured. I, well, I I figured those out because <laughs> they were people were kind of kind of stoned. But um, all right, um, save that for another time. First but, of all, do you really think that that religion uh -oh, ever got <laughs> ever got demystified? I mean, today, you know, that people are still believers. There's never a time in human yes, history. Yes, but no, no. But there's but that today there are unbelievers. Well, and today I, there I, are unbelievers. I, I, I believers. But, but all but. but not to but, be, not to be I that they, but all all unbelievers believe something else. They all I, believe. I, I, I knew that somebody was going to bring there, that up. There right. are all things that are not counted. Yeah, there are things that are not counted as religion that people do believe in, like you know. Yeah, like science, gravity, <laughs> college no, I, football. I mean, <laughs> you can't find anything more 
fetishized and ritualized than, than time college football. Very and, true. And, you know, I, I saw it all day today uh, on the streets of, of Knoxville. So, I mean, right. that certainly qualifies as a religion in every possible way. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, and then I want to also point out. There's no magic involved. Oh, there's plenty of magic. If the, if, if, superstition. if the volunteers had won today, it would have been ascribed to the god Goval, certainly not to the players. So, you know, there's, there's a ton of magic. Yeah, no, they're, they're, and there's superstition, which we don't think of as magic, but people are very serious about their superstitions. And, yeah. and also, you know, so the other side of it is, and I fall into this trap often, that it's the old archaeology trap. You don't understand what it is. Oh, it must be cultic. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do this whole thing with my class looking at, um, based on a reading in one of Eric Klein's books, looking at um, Starbucks, which if you look at the locations of where they are, oh, it must be a shrine because everybody has access by just going you know, down the block. Everybody can get into one of these things and they're worshiping this goddess, and blah, blah, blah. Um, so everything looks looks cultic um, if, if you don't know what it is. So, so maybe these maybe these things, these circular structures are basically just Starbucks. Maybe, maybe they're little stations in a restaurant. You're eating this animal over here. That one over there. <laughs> right, there's a. Although Circle D seem to have lots of different animals represented. Okay, yeah. well, let's go to Circle D tonight. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want to eat at the Scorpion one. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've heard bad things about them ever since that new chef came in. Are you sure this is dead? <laughs> <laughs> right, I want to send this lizard back. It, it does not moving. seem to be fresh. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't. I mean, I think it, it's dealing with religion is both, I think there's a tendency to make it too simplistic or too complicated um, or, or all or nothing. But, you know, there's so many things that fall under the rubric of, you know, sort of religion um, that it's well, hard. But that's, but that's my point. If everything falls under the rubric of religion, then, then, then there is no religion. Then it's the entirety of of human experience and it's it's inside these circular things and it's outside it's but it's at the football stadium it's outside religion is is a is a reductionist uh process in which you can get a handle on the enormity of the life experience and reduce it to something manageable and maybe that's what this is what's happening in these circles or at these t-shaped pillars we're going to explain the world to you kids <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're you're here you're this tiny little human figurine and these pillars represent the the things that hold up the sky or something right yeah I, I don't think that the people at Gobekli Tepe were worrying and thinking about it in the terms that we're talking about it in sort of right. philosophical terms they just know that they need to go here and engage in this ritual however many times a day, a year or whatever. And they don't think about it, they just do it. And, and let's sort of um, go back to a, a basic question that, that uh, Schmidt raised. Um, even if there is occupation at the site and almost certainly there is, um, does that not mean it still could be a pilgrimage site? or one of many pilgrimage sites mm -hmm. that the entire population of the region, uh, you know, participated in. Right, right. 
Um, I mean, that's that's the thing. There, there, perhaps there are people who live there full time to manage the site and uh, um, are in charge of the animals. I don't know, uh, as opposed to the other people who come as pilgrims. Well, we've already we've already introduced you know, um, specialist architects and other right. <clears throat> and artists and and managers and model makers and, and docents who, who give, you the, <laughs> give you the tour um, <clears throat> and, you know, presumably caterers and, and uh, <laughs> shop attendants and, and other things. And I'm not seeing any evidence for that at all, really. Well, what we have, uh, what we have is the product. We don't have the process. And we're, and the we're product is, is a result of the process. I mean, you had to have, you had to have planners and you had to have but if they're if they're trans egalitarian, why can't they just be doing this um, as a committee? Wow! But <laughs> just because somebody said they're trans egalitarian doesn't make them trans egalitarian. Right, right. <laughs> right. We don't have to trust everything we read all the time, or well, anything. anything really. Do, <laughs> yeah. do we ever? No, we really don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now we're in big trouble. <laughs> it's interesting because everyone seems to have their own little ideological bend on this stuff. And, mm. and no, none of us are willing to really give that up. Everyone is really quite dug in and very unsatisfied with well, alternative explanations. Right. But that's well, what makes it interesting for the listener. Right. That's but we've kind right. of reached the, the dead end here. Well, that's true. <laughs> Well, but what can we say? All we can do is do speculation because we just don't understand the site. So, I mean, we, I don't think archaeologists as a whole really understand the site. Well, I think we do and we don't. Uh, but that's... <laughs> and what I mean to say is, is that there's no religion if it's all religion. Right. How about it's all religion and it's instead of no religion, what's the problem with having it all be tied into a world system which has a sense of worship of something of some deity or deities but that's what i that's why i want to come back to notre dame okay because i think that that that's actually a good analogy in the sense that you have this fantastic structure that's fantastically elaborate and that's decorated with all sorts of wacky symbolism inside and out and <clears throat> And obviously, and we know because we there, it's a documented thing yeah. that um, there are specialists and it was created in a particular social and political and economic context and labor was organized this way and, and planning was organized that way. But we then unconsciously or, or consciously project these kinds of things onto, onto the past and we don't, we don't use our imaginations to come up with other sorts of uh, mental scenarios for, for complexity. They have to be, they sort of have to be like us and specialized, even though they're trans-egalitarian. <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> what was that? I don't even know. So what do you think was going on at Notre Dame? <laughs> Obviously, trans-egalitarian <laughs> hunter-gatherers were coming together in an annual pilgrimage to build this kind of cathedral to the, to the sky. Um, and mm -hmm. it really didn't take very much specialization because everybody was a hunter-gatherer. 
or a gather hunter. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably prove it with a large enough budget. <laughs> but so we have so do we have any closing thoughts on this site? It's it's nice that this site has really we've we've really drilled down into the um, basic lack of knowledge or understanding. Right. Right. Well, well, certainly our lack of knowledge and understanding. Right. I think, I think that, is, that right out there. That is the point, really. I'm, I'm going to reiterate. Some, so here's my, my closing <clears throat> thought, and I'll just reiterate something I said before, which is um, that I like the fact that a previously unknown, a recently unknown site can kind of reach preeminence within the field of archaeology. You know, 10 years ago, I wasn't teaching about Gobekli Tepe. I would teach about Jericho and Chachalhuyuk and Rabit and whatever else fit the course, but um, who knew about this place? And now suddenly, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I can, uh, when I start prehistory- You can't, you can't avoid it, it anymore. <laughs> right. For, for excellence in the field of innovation. <laughs> right, right. No, but it's, it's the, the, um, the, the, the canon can still be changed and, and evolve the canon of important archeological sites. So I think that's a good example of the canon evolving. What are your final thoughts? Who, who are you speaking to? Either, I don't care. My final thoughts are, I like the fact that little nuggets of complexity are being pushed further and further back, back yes. to, to demonstrate the, the linkage between all of these you know, deep time innovations to, you know, the Calcolithic and the early Bronze Age and all of these other periods. Um, and how by going back earlier and earlier, uh, it gives more space and more room for the period of gestation for all of these ideas mm -hmm. and, and the growth, even at the very sort of acorn level of these kinds of things that ultimately turn into big, robust institutions. Uh, though it takes thousands and thousands of years. Right. And in that regard, it, it, um, it does make me think of how science fiction books work, in which we're always given very, very long periods of time. Mm. In, you know, the Foundation trilogy and in Dune and all of these other things. Science fiction writers always talk about, you know, 10,000 years and 20,000 years and 8,000 years. And, and now we're approximating that kind of thing. Interesting. Right, so it's it's uh, it's ten thousand year, uh, eleven thousand years from building a big circle of stone and hanging somebody's skulls on the wall to having um, iPhones and with GPS and you can order um, order food to be delivered to your house by a person on a scooter. Right, right. but but by the but by the discovery of Gobekli Tepe, we've added um, we've added thousands of years to the history of sacred well, of, space of, of monumentality of monument of, of demarcated monumental <clears throat> sacred space yeah and i think that's that's kind of what i'm talking about yeah. Um, yeah and clearly these ideas circulate and and sometimes the connective tissue gets lost but by and large these ideas circulate and percolate and remain in the ether and then get expressed in different places in, diff in slightly different ways. That's all. That's interesting.
Alex, do you have any final thoughts that you haven't yet expressed? <laughs> I want a recording of that other, that, that other extended riff. I think I think at the at the risk of at the risk of repeating myself. <clears throat> I think if I think we should start playing in the court of the Crimson King in the background. <laughs> Probably. I think that would really be a nice homage. Well, we're, we'll we were talking about um, Emerson Lake and Palmer before, so that. You were. So that was, uh, I think that that's, you know, very, <laughs> very appropriate as well. <clears throat> that, uh, yeah, um, you know, never, <laughs> never underestimate how, uh, how complex, the complex things that earlier humans were doing. Right. And the, and the complex, yeah. and yeah. the complex ideas and structures or infrastructures, institutions that, that go way, 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 way back. And even, even simple things or things that, that may uh, superficially seem simple, like, you know, making a stone tool <clears throat> that none of us could possibly pull off in, <laughs> if our lives depended on it is, is part of a complex series of mental and physical activities that goes back a, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, right. Right. you know, transmitted. So, right. so human beings, <laughs> yay. <laughs> <laughs> Up with, up with people. <laughs> Perfect. Well, this just goes to show that when everyone is a trans-egalitarian hunter-gatherer, then no one is a trans-egalitarian hunter-gatherer. So as always, we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, educator in residence at the Savannah Music Festival, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our longtime sponsor, the Dumont Television Network which is presenting The Maury Amsterdam Show, Thursdays at 9. To get in touch, leave us a comment. Send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, it's all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.